me get uh, three uh, folks tonight. Come on, you two. You want to come up here too? Come on, buddy. Nope. Come on, sweetheart. I'll get you one. All right. Here we go. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Come on up here. Good, good, good. Okay, you have mine. No, you don't want mine? Well, it works, I promise. All right, everybody, let's stand together all over the building. Everybody stand, stand, stand. VBS style. Hold that American flag up there, buddy. Hold that up. Hold it. He's holding that up a little bit. There you go. All right, hand over your heart. Ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America. And to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. I love how when they're little, they go, I want, I want. When they get older, like, can you find somebody else? Amen. All right. Thank you, buddy. All right, Christian flag. Here we go. Ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Christian flag and to the Savior for whose kingdom it stands. One Savior, crucified, risen, and coming again with life and liberty for all who believe. Hold that Bible up now, pretty girl. Here we go. Ready? Pledge. I pledge allegiance to the Bible, God's holy word. I will make lamp into my feet and a light into my path and hide its words in my heart that I might not sin against God. Good job, guys. Good job. You can come down, sit down now. Come on and have a seat. Everybody have a seat for me couple of quick announcements. I'll open in prayer and then, then well, all right. I didn't know where she's going. All right. A uh, couple of quick announcements. Don't forget uh, uh, teenage guys and uh, adult men that can help us Saturday cleaning up here. Uh, we'll start at 8 a.m. We'll have some biscuits here for you uh, and uh, some coffee, so if you can help us out with that, we'd sure appreciate it. Then I want to give you, everybody, this great announcement. Uh, Sister Charlotte Thomas went today for her third cancer surgery in the last couple of years uh, and uh, mentioned that to you on uh, Sunday, but they got in today, couldn't find any cancer, so praise the Lord for that. That's a blessing. All right, let's pray, Lord. Bless the Iwana program tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this evening. Lord, give us a good time in your house. Bless the adults as well. In Christ's name, amen. Cubbies, you can head out tonight. Here we go.
do some quick prayer requests this evening. Continue to pray for Brother Ratliff, if you would. Brother Curtis up in Roanoke, a little bit better today. Uh, but pray for him, if you would. Pray also for John and Betty Wasoski. Both of them are struggling with health issues. Uh, pray also, if you would, for Sister Sarah Lawson. Some special needs there. Uh, Lord knows about that. Uh, pray for Shane's dad. Uh, I, I don't think, mind me saying this, we were, uh, stopped in Roanoke yesterday uh, on our way back from Richmond. I had to be there for work. And, uh, of course, saw Brother Curtis and then Shane's dad. Shane's dad uh, got such an uh, uh, infection and, and cellulitis in his leg. They're talking about having to remove it. So pray for him, if you would, Shane's father, uh, uh, this evening. Prayer requests on my left tonight. Want to share? Anybody on my left? Yet? Yes, ma'am. Amen, sister. Absolutely. Yes, ma'am. Lisa. All right. Certainly. Brother Darrell. Absolutely, buddy. Thank you so much. Anybody else on my left tonight? Yes, sir. You betcha. Thank you. Thanks for coming, buddy. Enjoy your smoke break, Val. All right. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Appreciate that. Shane? Absolutely, absolutely, and I think, for, I know a lot of you weren't able to be here Sunday for various reasons, but uh, Melanie had a miscarriage, uh, so please pray for Melanie if you would. Uh, somebody else on my left tonight. Yes, ma'am. Amen. All right, certainly. In the middle tonight, want to share a request. Yes, ma'am. Absolutely. Pray for Miss April. Thank you, Brother Gerald. Absolutely, buddy. Appreciate that. Others in the middle tonight. Yes, ma'am. Miss Helbert. Oh, my goodness. Pray for Brother Sam. Thank you so much. Appreciate that. Brother Keith. Amen, buddy. Amen. Amen. Yes, sir. Chester Wayne. All right, buddy. Thank you. Miss Georgie. Amen, sister. Amen. Glad to have y'all back. Yes. Absolutely, Miss Dottie. You betcha. Absolutely. Anybody else in the middle tonight? On my right this evening, want to share? Miss Irma. Amen. Amen. Boy, I, I know I mentioned it Sunday night, but I've heard Brother Jerry Whitlow preach a lot of times in my life, many, many times, but boy, Sunday morning is about the best I've ever heard. What a fantastic job he did preaching about the difficulties we face. What a wonderful job. James? Amen, son. Appreciate that. Charlie? Amen. Certainly, Charlie. Appreciate it. Jordan. All right. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else on my right? Brother Tim.
right, buddy. Absolutely. Uh, I, I've been through a bunch of reorgs myself. I can't say much because my boss is here in the building. So, <laughs> been there, done that. Amen. Somebody else on my right. Yes, ma'am. Sister Jean. Thank you, Ms. Roy. Appreciate that. Yes, sir. Cameron. You bet, buddy. Somebody else. I saw another hand go up. All right. Let's pray together tonight. Lord, we love you. And we thank you for the opportunity to share these requests. Uh, Lord, you've commanded us in your word to bear one another's burdens, and we're glad to do that tonight. Lord, I pray a special blessing upon everyone uh, that, that brought a request for it and those whose names were mentioned. Lord, I pray for that as well. For those in the hospital tonight, Lord, I pray that you'd send the sweet presence of the Holy One and comfort as only you can do. Lord, thank you for the great news we heard today with regards to Sister Charlotte. We know that's an answer to prayer, and we give you credit for it. And Lord, for those in our congregation who've lost loved ones in the last couple of weeks, pray that you'd bless them. And Lord, as we heard tonight, uh, as Ms. Irma shared, our widows and others in our congregation who are struggling with tremendous difficulty, I pray that you'd bless them. Bless our Bible study time tonight. Thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Brother Ken. Number 288, I am resolved. We'll do the first verse, of course. Have a time of fellowship. Hymn number 288. I am resolved no longer to be turned by the world's delight. Things that are Sign up for meals at the college. Sign up is right here at the front.
on down tonight, if you would, please. Congregation, turn to the Bibles. Ruth chapter 3, please. Ruth chapter number 3. Uh, as we collect our offering tonight, if you haven't worshipped the Lord with tithes and offerings, you can do that. And again, congregation, Ruth chapter 3, we're going to look at message number 8 tonight. Lord, bless the offering. May it be what you have it to be. Thank you for the faithfulness of your folk. In Christ's name, amen. Continuing tonight and our study of the book of Ruth, Amazing Grace, uh, we are looking tonight at what is really a pivotal point in the narrative. Uh, some of you, uh, I don't think we're able to be here last Wednesday night because of the frigid, frigid air conditions. We sure understand that. So I want to back up a little bit and give you a little bit of history. I uh, just refresh our memory for a second. You'll be reminded that Ruth... Uh, has spent all of the harvest season, all of the graining season, daily going out. Uh, and if her first day's work is any indication, she came back with her basket full, anticipating getting enough grain to supply the need for a day. She comes back with enough to supply for a week. I think we can ascertain from that uh, with the attention that Boaz showed her, with the affection he developed for her, that every day she would go out and she would gather more, would do more, would bring in more than what she anticipated. But I think you also understand that this was hard work. This was laborious work. This was, this was physical work. This was manual labor. And though she was, by the grace of Boaz, getting ahead just a little bit, it would take a permanent fix, if you will, something far more permanent uh, that would allow her and her mother-in-law to actually have a good livelihood. So while she was getting enough to survive, she was certainly not able to thrive. And can I pause just a moment and say this to you, and I hope you'll amen. The Lord doesn't save us just to survive. He saves us so that we might thrive in the mercy of His grace. Now, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel, but you understand that the Lord loves to bless us because He can. We're going to look at that a little bit tonight. So the question comes out now because harvest season is over. And though certainly Ruth and Naomi probably set some aside, they set some that they would get to each day uh, in the hope that, that, that they would be able to make it last a little longer. You understand that grain is not going to last uh, indefinitely. Uh, there was much that needed to be done, and now what are they going to do? They cannot go out, or she cannot go out now and glean in the fields. Uh, the harvest season is over. So now what is supposed to happen? There's been a time lapse, a time gap, if you will, between the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3, even though we're told that she went out and continued to glean in that field. She didn't go anywhere else, uh, but all she was able to do was get enough to survive. So now what's going to happen? 
And again, if you were with us last week, the answer to that question comes from Naomi. Because now the time for gathering is over. It's time to thresh the wheat. We'll talk a little bit about that, or the barley, I should say. We'll talk a little bit more about that, what that means, what that looks like. And Naomi gives Ruth a very specific commandment. Look at verse 3. We looked at it last week, but let's look at it one more time. Verse number 3, if you would. Naomi tells her daughter-in-law, Ruth, Wash thyself therefore, anoint thee, Put thy raiment upon thee, get thee down to the floor, but make not thyself known unto the man. Of course, the man is Boaz, until he shall have done eating and drinking. Naomi has got this semi figured out. She's telling Ruth what Ruth needs to do next to make this relationship more permanent so that they can transition, if you will, because Naomi knows that Boaz is a near kinsman. Let me pause a moment and say this. There is a difference between a near kinsman and the nearest kinsman. We're going to look at that description and that differentiation tonight as well. So I want to give you a message tonight uh, that I've entitled Meeting the Redeemer. Message number eight in this series, Meeting the Redeemer. Because now uh, the actions must fall under Ruth's uh, doorstep, if you will. Naomi's told her what to do. Wash yourself, get your clothes on, anoint yourself, put on perfume, get down there to where he is, uh, and present yourself to him. And I shared with you last week that literally what Naomi, think with me now, what Naomi is telling Ruth is that it is time for Ruth to pop the question. Now, in our culture today, it's the other way around. Usually, it's the husband that pops the question, or the husband-to-be, the male that pops the question. In this society and in this circumstance, that's critical that you understand that, critical. In this circumstance, it is uh, Ruth uh, that will present herself uh, to Boaz and her actions. She's not literally going to say, hey, Boaz, will you marry me? But her actions uh, will show that she is willing and available to marry him if he's willing uh, to marry her as the near kinsman. Three things that we'll look at tonight. Number one, note with me Ruth's presentation. Ruth's presentation. Let's read, if we can now, verse number four. Notice what it says. This is still Naomi speaking. It shall be when he lieth down that thou shalt mark the place where he shall lie. Thou shalt go in and uncover his feet and lay thee down. He will tell, and he will tell thee what thou shalt do. What a strange statement Ruth is told. What a strange and unusual thing that Naomi is telling Ruth to do especially when viewed in the light of our cultural norms today. So I need to put all of this in perspective and put it all in context for you so that you'll understand what's exactly taking place. In order for this big plan, if you will, of Naomi's to work, there are some things that had to kind of happen, things that had to fall in place. First of all, there had to be some recognition on the part of Ruth uh, who Boaz was, where he was, and what she had to do. That might sound simple, but I need you to understand what's about to happen. The gathering season is over. And tonight, or today I should say, on this particular day, 
would mark the beginning of what would be thought of as the threshing season. Now, some of you perhaps have seen this if you've gone to Williamsburg, if you've gone to Jamestown, if you've gone to any colonial society where you've watched a demonstration of how wheat is threshed, you understand this. But for those that may not, let me give you a real rudimentary explanation because it's very important. This is one of the big days, if you will, of any farming society. And, of course, this is very much a farming society that we're living in at this point. This is a critical day, if you will, a critical week even of what would happen day in and day out. All the barley in the grain, the barley in this case has been brought in. It would be taken to the threshing floor. Well, what is that? That would be usually a very large, rect- uh, 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 a circular pad, if you will, clay, uh, uh, where threshing would take place. And it would often be done on top of a hill for reasons I'll explain in just a moment. Most of us have seen sheaves. We sing the song, bringing in the sheep, bringing in the sheep. Let us go rejoice, bring in the sheaves. Well, what's a sheep? It's a bundle. And so you would see a bundle of grain, in this case, barley, brought in. It would be laid by the bundles on the threshing floor. Everybody with me? And then an oxen would have a large um, uh, uh, rectangular platform, if you will, tied to that oxen. And that oxen would trample around on the threshing floor, dragging that plank with him, busting open the sheaves, if you will, and separating the kernels from the husks. Some of you are nodding your head. You know what I'm talking about. The, the, the intent of this is to get that little kernel of grain out of the chaff, if you will. So what would happen first is that the oxen would drag that plank around in that circle over and over and over, trample it out, trampling it out, separating uh, the, the, the kernel from the husk. Well, it's still in a predicament because you nobody is going to go in the middle of all of that stuff and start picking up all of the kernels. You with me? That's an impossibility. So, so, so the Jews, and in fact farming society, not just the Jews, uh, would have very large circular plates, if you will. And this is the reason they would be up on the hill uh, where the breezes would blow. And they would literally take all of the stuff that's been trampled uh, into this large plate basket, is a better description, a large woven basket, Toss it up in the air, do what's called a wave offering, literally, but tossing it up into the air, and the chaff, if the breeze came along, would separate and the kernels would fall back down. And in fact, you would sometimes and see some of the pictures where when that stuff was thrown up in the air, there would be folks who would literally force a wave with another basket to, so that the chaff would, would, would blow out. It's very similar to the, to the uh, imagery that Christ uses when he talks about separating the wheat and chaff. Everybody with me on that? Wheat and tares. You know what I'm talking about. So literally, this is a big deal. This is how you transition from the grain being brought in to the grain becoming actually usable. So in the evening time, this is an all-day affair. Listen carefully. I know I'm giving you a lot of stuff, but it's important. This is an all-day affair. And you understand that once you've got the, the baskets full of the kernels, that's like gold in a farming society. That's what you work all year for. And you're going to make doggone t- sure, tootin' sure that nobody takes that stuff. That's what you labor and pray and work for. So in the evening time, 
the ladies who would have been part of this uh, would be off to themselves where they would sleep, and the men would sleep around the chaff, around the wheat, around the undone kernels, if you will, because you couldn't get it all done in one day. So they would sleep on the outside of that wheat that was to be processed or the barley that was to be processed the next day. Well, I don't need to tell you this, folks, but think with me. In Jewish society, everybody wears about the same thing. They wear the long toga, if you will, the covering. They wear a head covering. Most of them are dark-skinned, dark hair, long beard. I'm, I'm being very blunt here. They look the same in many cases. They dress the same. And so at nighttime, if you don't know where a person is... You're not going to find him. Are you with me? If you don't know where he's laying, you're not going to find him. Moreover, without fail, they would lay with their head facing inward, their feet facing outward. Always. Head facing inward, where the grain is, feet facing outward. So in verse 4, when Ruth is told to go mark where he lay, What she's literally being told is stand off to the side with the other women. Helping all the things that the women do. When Boaz puts his stuff down for the day. When Boaz puts his pillow and his blanket. It's not really a pillow and a blanket, but you get the picture. When Boaz puts his stuff down, mark it, know where it is. Because later that night when he's asleep, you got to go find him. And what you can't do is go up and say, is this Boaz? Is this Boaz? Is this Boaz? You can't do that. you got to mark where he is. you got to know where he is because you've got to find him. Look at that verse one more time. Verse number four. Because she's gotten very clearly a a, a commandment or a a, a telling, if you will, that she's got to recognize him. Verse four. It shall be when he lieth down, thou shalt mark the place. Where he shall lie. Uh, And thou shalt go in, cover his feet, lay thee down, and he will tell thee what to do. Now, again, I'm not trying to figure out applications where applications are not there, but I do think there's an application here. Ruth is told, in order for you to be successful, you got to go where he is. You got to find him. Let me be very clear tonight. We're going to obtain the blessings found at the feet of Jesus. We got to go where he is. What am I saying? Let me say, first of all, in the matter of salvation, there is no finding him, he finds us. There's no finding him, he finds us. That's very clear in Scripture. We don't go searching for him, he comes searching for us. We answer his call. We understand that. But you do understand That for those of us who are saved, there is this sense that we've got to be where he is. Think with me for just a second. Whenever there's distance between us and him who moved, it is never him. Whenever there's separation between us and him. In other words, we're not as close to the Lord as what we used to be. I can promise you it's not because he walked away from us. It's because we walked away from him. You understand The application is very simple here. If we're going to be at the feet of our kinsman redeemer, we got to be where he is. 
Secondly, not only is there recognition, there's also a resolve. Notice verse 5, please. Notice what it says. She said unto her, that's Ruth, said unto her, Naomi, all that thou sayest unto me, I will do. Can I pause a moment and say, I love the fact that Ruth does not tell her all the reasons why this plan's not going to work. She does not interject and say, but wait a minute, you got to think about this. Wait a minute, what if this happens? Wait a minute, this could be a problem. Wait a minute, wait a minute, this is not going to work, but, 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 but. Naomi says, you got to do this, and Ruth says everything you Basically, Ruth says, yes, ma'am, I'll do it. Look at verse number six. She went down under the floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. It wasn't just a recognition. There was a resolve. When Naomi told her what to do, Ruth said, yes, ma'am. She made the effort. She understands that left to herself, her plight will never get better. That's so important that you get this. Ruth realizes wisely that left to her own devices, all she will ever do is survive. Barely. Barely. For her to have a chance at happiness. For her and her mother-in-law to have any sense of a normal, lovely life. She has to come to the point where she says, I cannot do this by myself. Can I pause a moment and say one of the greatest decisions that we ever make is when we realize that I can't make it on my own. One of the greatest decisions that we ever come to or the understandings is that regardless of our intelligence, our appearance, our finances, regardless of where we are, who we are, we understand that I cannot do this by myself. And so we follow the rules. We follow the instruction manual. So there's a resolve. That resolve turns into a request. This is my favorite part of the whole chapter, the whole book, actually. Look at verse number 7. Look at verse number 7. This is going to seem strange in our culture. I'm going to do my best to explain it to you. Verse number 7. When Boaz had eaten and drunk, that means the supper's over, the festivities celebrating the day are over. This is a big deal again. His heart was merry. He went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn, just as I explained to you, head inward, feet outward. He's lying down at the end of the heap of the corn. And she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Now, well, let's keep reading. Verse 8. Came to pass at midnight. The man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who art thou? She answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Look, if you would, at the next verse. Spread, therefore, thine skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. In that one statement, Ruth pops the question. Let me explain to you and show you what's taking place. There's merriment. There's festivities. In fact, there's a whole Jewish festival around this. There's a great deal of 
hoorah and celebration that takes place. And when the evening's festivities are over, the women go back to their quarters and the men go out into the field, if you will, split in half, some where the kernels of grain are kept, where the gold is, and many around the part of the field that's not yet, or the part of the, the barley that's not yet been threshed, the sheaves of barley that are still together out there, stacked up in heaps, and the men lie down because they're going to sleep there to protect it. So when he's asleep and everything's quiet and nobody will know what she's doing, she goes in. She's already marked the spot because her mother-in-law told her to do that. She knows where he is. She uncovers his feet. She doesn't jostle him. She doesn't wake him up. She wakes up no one around her. She simply lays down at his feet. I've seen images of this. I've seen pictures of this that frankly get it all wrong. She did not snuggle up beside of him. She didn't put her arm around him. She didn't give him a big kiss. She didn't do anything like that. She only uncovered his feet and lay down at his feet, making her presence known. Then you see the next verse. At midnight, he wakes up. Now, I've, 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 I've read lots of reasons why he woke up. I've got here. This is real deep theological stuff here. You ready? We have no idea why he woke up. Uh, maybe the Lord just nudged him. Maybe he had to go to the bathroom. I have no idea. But he woke up. And when he did, he's startled. He's frightened. Because there's a woman there, number one, and women aren't there. But not only is the woman there, the woman's at his feet. And that's unusual. In fact, it's not just unusual. It's almost eerie. The cultures like that don't mingle. They're not together like that. I know that doesn't fit in our day, but you understand that if this were Jewish in Bible days, and men and women wouldn't even be in the same congregation together. It's just the culture. So it's unheard of that she has presented herself at his feet, and he's frightened. I'm going to paraphrase. He says, who are you? She knows who he is. He doesn't know who she is. She introduces herself, and she says, it's me. It's Ruth. And then she pops the question. She said, get, listen now. She said, I've uncovered your feet. She moved the blanket, the skirt, if you will, off of his feet. She says, if you would, if you're willing, if you're able, spread your skirt back over your feet and include me. Thereby saying, I will take over, I will protect you. I will bring you into my family. She says, I am popping the question, why? Because you are a near kinsman. Now, please understand, you've got to know this. The only way she's even eligible or allowed for this is because Boaz is a near kinsman. Had he not been a near kinsman, there's no way this would have happened. There's no way that, that a woman's going to come in and pop the question to a man. But she is showing some, some fortitude here, folks, some courage uh, to get this accomplished. So, so, so I'm calling this whole chunk of this the presentation. The presentation then transitions to what I'm calling the promises. The promises. I, I cannot help but wonder if in the back of her mind she wasn't 
terrified. Most of you who've been in church any length of time, you know the ending to this story. You know they get married, and you know that Ruth becomes the ancestor of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know that, but she doesn't know this. In fact, when she's making this happen, she's doing something that very few, if any, women would have dared to do. And in the back of her mind, perhaps even in the front of her mind, I can't help but think she'd ask herself, what if he rejects me? What if he says no? He could have. What if he misinterprets my actions? What if he humiliates me? What if he publicly humiliates me? What if he, what if he, he refuses and publicly drives me away without ever letting me back in the field again? Do you understand? This is the pivotal moment where everything changes. Either Ruth's life is about to be incredible or it's about to to be destroyed. Well, look at verse 11. We skipped a verse intentionally. Look at verse 11. Notice what Boaz says. And now my daughter, look at the next two words. I can't help but think that these are the two greatest words she'd ever heard. Fear not. Fear not. He says those simple two words which let, I think, Ruth know that as much as she wanted to be his, he wanted to be hers. Can I give you what I think is the most beautiful application? For those of us that know the Lord, we never have to worry about being rejected. We never, never have to worry about being rejected. Let me give you a very simple illustration that I hope We'll put this all in perspective for you. Monday and Tuesday, I was in Richmond. Uh, some government meetings were taking place, and I needed to be there for a few reasons. And after each committee meeting would happen, there'd be a mad dash from those of us that were there to go up and talk to the legislators. You'd have maybe 10 minutes between committee meetings, and literally, literally, you would go up, campaign for why you were there. You were literally pleading your case. But, but, but unless, I mean, I sat on the front row because I, as soon as that gavel went down, boom, I'm up. But inevitably, two or three people would get in front of you. Inevitably. And you don't have much time, you know, because they got to go to the restroom. They need to go get their food. They You're standing in line to try to get 30 seconds of time with a legislator to plead your case. Twice during the five meetings for which I was there, twice I never got to speak. Twice. I mean, I'm running to get up there in front of the line. I never got to say a word. At the fifth time, I went back and sat down, and as God is my witness, I thought, I'm glad it's not like this with the Lord. You don't have to wait in line. You don't have to campaign. You don't have to plead your case. In fact, he's pleading your case on your behalf to the Father. All you've got to do is be willing to get at his feet, which for some of us is too humiliating. God help. Aren't you glad that those who come to him, who know him, he will never cast us out? Notice, if you would, please. Not only do you see that he received her, he also reassured her. Now, my daughter, I'm still in verse 11. Now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest. If you will remember verse number 
3 and 4. Look at, at verse number 4, the end of verse 4, Naomi tells Ruth, once you get there, he'll tell you what you need to do. In fact, at the end of verse 4, she even says, Lotus, verse 4, he will tell thee what thou shalt do. Remember, Ruth didn't grow up in this culture. She's not a Jew. She doesn't know how all of this works. And so now he tells her in verse number 11, the middle part there, I will do to thee all that thou requirest. Can I, can I paraphrase that into our vernacular? He says, I take you and I'll handle the rest. I will take care of it all. Thank God we serve that kind of Savior. I will take care of it all. One of the great names of our Lord. And I need to back up for a second because all the time that you see the word Lord in your Bible in all capital letters. I've told you that that always means what? Jehovah. But you also need to understand that almost all of the time, there's another name associated with it. If you were here when we had all the banners hung up for a while, we had all the names of the Lord hung up, not all of them. We had a bunch of the names hanging up. See, our King James translators translated all of those names into the word Lord. But one of the great names is what is found and called in Genesis twenty-two fourteen, Jehovah Jireh. Which means the Lord provide, the Lord will take care of it all. The Lord's got all of this. I'm putting that in our language. So at this moment, Ruth's about to discover that her kinsman redeemer has got it all figured out. He received her. He, reassured, he re reassured her. He rejoiced over her. Now go back to verse 10. Go back to verse 10. He said, Blessed be thou of the Lord. That's another one there. You see it in all caps. It's Jehovah something there. My daughter. For thou hast showed me more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning inasmuch as thou followest not young men, whether poor or rich. I'll stop there for a second because many scholars believe, and I think they're right about this, that that little statement there shows that there was a big age difference between Boaz and Ruth. That, that he is complimenting her, that she as a young girl could have gone after the young men, but she shows him deference, she shows him respect. Uh, he is a wealthy man, certainly he even goes on to say poor or rich, uh, but she chooses him despite his advanced age. And then she says at the, he says at the end of verse 11, For all the city of my people know, or doth know, that thou art a virtuous woman. Good golly, Miss Molly. She had to be filled with goosebumps and heart palpitations. I mean, her life could have been over at this moment, literally, ruined, reputation destroyed. And it's interesting. You, when you look at this relationship, think with me, folks. Think with me. When you look at that, when the society looks at the relationship between Ruth and Boaz, everybody knows why Ruth would want Boaz. Everybody can figure that out. But I can promise you what nobody can figure out is why Boaz would want Ruth. Well, folks, would you look at me? It's the same with us and our kinsman redeemer. I know why he, I know why I want him. I can't figure out why he wants me. 
I know why I love him. What I can't figure out is why he loves me. Now, with any good love story, you know there's always a complication. You know there's always a wrench thrown in. In fact, when I was at William and Mary taking a class in playwriting, we were actually instructed where to place in the play, the body of the play, the complication, where you think everything's going to be good, and then you got to throw the complication in. That's that conflict that has to happen that makes the whole thing exciting. That, that causes us to, to invest in the narrative, to, to pour ourselves into it. Here's where the complication is. We've got the presentation. We've got the promises. But now we've got a problem. Go back at verse number 11. Let's read it one more time. Now, my daughter, fear not. I will do to thee all that thou requirest, for all the city of my people doth know that thou art a virtuous woman. And now it is true that I am thy near kinsman. Whoop, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Ruth's got to be thrilled on top of cloud nine rejoicing. How be it? Do you, do, do you know what the word how be it means? It means but. But, but, there is 